Good afternoon and welcome to the Court of Appeals. We have one case on the docket this afternoon for all argument and we will call Duvall versus North Carolina Sheriff's Education Training Standards Commission. I'd like to introduce the panel. To my right is Judge Hunter Murphy. To my left is Judge April Wood. I am uh, Judge John Tyson. Uh, Mr. Roderick McFarland was the one who opened court for us today for our clerk. And uh, Officer Richard Romilliard is our court marshal who is present in court today. As I said, we have one case on the docket. And is there, are there any preliminary matters to come before the court from either side before we get started? No, Your Honor. No, Your Honor. Okay. Well, hearing that, we welcome the folks here here today for the argument and we will hear from the appellant. Good afternoon, your honors. May it please the court. My name is Amisha Cooper Chester, and I'm a special deputy attorney general with the North Carolina Department of Justice. I represent the appellant, the North Carolina Education and Training Standards Commission in this matter. I would respectfully request to reserve five minutes for rebuttal. Okay. Thank you. This court should reverse the decision of the Superior Court because Duvall's PJR failed to comply with the requirements of Section 150B-46 and the Superior Court had no authority to modify or reverse the Commission's final agency decision pursuant to Section 150B-51B. The Superior Court should have granted the Commission's motion to dismiss because Duvall's PJR did not explicitly state what exceptions he took to the Commission's decision. Pursuant to Section 150B-46, a PJR shall explicitly state what exceptions are taken and what relief is sought. Section 150B-51B contains the only exceptions that may be taken to a final agency decision for the purpose of modifying or reversing the decision. According to this court, in Van v. NC State Bar, and Gray v. Orange County Health Department, explicit is defined as characterized by full, clear expression, being without vagueness or ambiguity, leaving nothing implied, and generalized statements are not adequate to withstand a motion to dismiss. Duvall's PJR makes a blanket statement under the heading of exceptions that summarizes some of the commission's conclusions and notes testimony from witnesses Green and Johnson. The PJR does not indicate a law that was violated or a procedure to which the commission did not conform. Duvall cites Kingsgrab v. State Board of Barber Examiners in support of his position that his PJR, PJR was sufficiently explicit to allow effective judicial review. But truth be told, Your Honors, Kingsgrab further illustrates the commission's contention that it was not. Kingsgrab, in Kingsgrab, the petitioner clearly stated exceptions to the board's actions and included, as this court noted, two instances where the PJR alleged that the final decision was in excess of the statutory authority or jurisdiction of the board in accordance with section 150B-51B2. Let's, let's, let's deal with a threshold matter, if we can, on jurisdiction. And I think Judge uh, Murphy has a question about the jurisdiction where we're here today. Yes, before sir. This court. Yeah, and it may just be something that needs to be clarified from the record. Um, 
Looking at record page two, indicate to me, record page two, this is in the stipulated statement of jurisdiction. North Carolina Sheriff's Education and Training Standards Commission issued the final agency decision dated 6 October 2020, which was served 30 October 2020. On December 8, 2020, petitioner filed a petition for judicial review. The documents that come after suggest other dates of service of the final agency decision, but in this stipulation, it looks like more than 30 days elapsed between the filing or the service of the agency decision and the filing of petition for judicial review, which looking at 150B45 um, is, is more than 30 days. But when we look at other parts of the record, I think, um, yeah, we've got multiple indications. We've got our uh, record 22 where it says the night. Um, I think there's other parts that say, I think the, the actual petition says that Ms. Knox was served on the 10th of November. Wh which of these dates is controlling as we're considering this as a jurisdictional threshold matter if the, the Superior Court even had jurisdiction to begin with? Your Honor, I will. Or, or was this on record page two, just a, a Scribner's error and, and does the your Honor, that, the that commission is, can see that, that that's an error in the what we're seeing I believe that later the, in the record of November 9th. It was actually the date of service on the petitioner. And my apologies. I am just trying to make sure that I am. Sorry, record page 22 is where. Okay. Um, where the certificate of service shows. The certificate of service for the final that, agency decision. Um, Mr. DeBall's attorney was served on the 9th. And then in the record where it indicates page two your honor i do not believe that there was an issue with mr deval's uh, petition as far as the date in which it was filed. Okay. There's a, also a stipulation to the settlement of the record appeal that appears on record page 100 too that the parties both signed. So we just we just like to clean it up. Okay. And yes, Your Honor, I certainly appreciate that, but no, I do believe that Mr. Duvall did file his petition timely. Uh, the commission's issue with the petition is that it was not explicitly sufficient um, explicit, sufficient to allow an effective judicial review in this case. And in King's grab, um, if I may continue that. Yes, ma'am, thank you. I appreciate um, you taking a look at that. Of course, Your Honor. Um, and in King's grab, that petitioner explicitly stated that, on uh, at least two occasions, that the um, commission's actions or that the agency's actions in that case were in violation of or in excess of its statutory authority. So in that case, the court knew which standard to apply. So just to understand the state's argument, are you saying that Superior Court does not have jurisdiction or it did have jurisdiction, but its scope of review is limited? Your Honor, what I'm saying is that the, the motion should have been dismissed because, it was, because the petition was insufficient. 
it was not sufficiently explicit as required by 150B-46. Well, to follow up on his question, um, when we were looking at the way this, this case came about and how it comes to us today, it appeared that there was a threshold determination that was sent to an administrative law judge, correct? That's correct, Your Honor. And that, that administrative law judge issued a recommended decision. A proposed decision, yes, Your Honor. That went back to the agency. Yes, Your Honor. And the agency basically adopted that recommended decision, is that correct? That's not, not correct, Your Honor. So they rejected, the commission rejected the proposed record. They, they did, they chose to do something different than what was the ultimate recommendation. Your Honor, um, to answer your question, the administrative law judge in these types of cases sits in place of the agency. Um, the Sheriff's Commission is a Article 3A agency, and therefore the, the ALJ makes a proposal for decision that contains proposed findings of fact and proposed conclusions of law. And by the statutory language of proposed, it, it indicates that the commission, based on the record, of course, based on the testimony and all the evidence that was admitted during the course of that administrative hearing, may modify those findings of facts and conclusions of law based on the record, as long as it is supported by the record. And that is what the commission did in this case in making a conclusion that was different, not totally different, but somewhat different right. than what the administrative law judge proposed. And the commission did alter what it what its threshold decision was going to be, right? I'm not sure I understand your question, Your Honor. I understand that the, the ALJ had recommended a five-year window. So there were two violations before the administrative law judge. And on the first one, the judge recommended a suspension that was five years. And that, that recommendation is not at issue in this proceeding. The only recommendation that was at issue is that of the denial, indefinite denial, for lack of good moral character. Okay, now and when it went before Judge Bell. It did, for, for um, petition for judicial review, yes right. sir. Judge Bell, did he take additional evidence or just relied solely on the record? Pursuant to the rules in 150B, the Administrative, um, the administrative Procedures Act, the judge is not allowed to take any new evidence. If he were to want to take new evidence, he'd have to remand the matter back to the Office of Administrative Hearings to do that. So this decision was made based solely on the record, the uh, official record from the um, Office of Administrative Hearings. Okay. And um, so you, you, the state's challenge to Judge Bell's order is based on his scope of review? Your Honor, the challenge to the review is twofold. Number one, this matter should have never reached a uh, substantive hearing because the petition was deficient on its face, right. pursuant to the requirements of the statute. And the second part is that um, the Superior Court had no authority to modify or to reverse the final agency decision because none of the conditions, the exclusive conditions that are outlined and Section 150B-51B are present in the case at bar. So does the Superior Court judge on making a finding of good moral character, does the Superior Court judge have the right to look at the evidence in the record and, and come to a different conclusion than what the Commission did? Well, Your Honor, that would depend on what provision of 150B-B, excuse me, 150B-51B the petition was based upon. 
And because Mr. Duvall failed to explicitly state that, the judge had no idea which uh, standard of review to apply. Uh, under certain, under four of the provisions, well, can I there's a de novo. There? I'm sorry. Under his exception, he does, he does state what the, um, that the respondent found the petitioner lacked good moral character and then goes in to state why that's true, but then refers to Je um, Jody Green, the sheriff of Columbus County's um, testimony, and then finds that the commission found him to be honest and believable. In that regards, isn't he just saying, I take issue with the findings of the, um, you know, of the commission, and therefore is that not sufficient to for him to have found that there was either an error of law or that the decision was arbitrary, capricious, or an abuse of discretion. Well, Your Honor, no, that's not enough. And the reason why it's not is because we're having to assume. And explicit, as defined by this court, requires that it be without ambiguity, leaving no room for, for inference, as one is having to do in this case. So, no, Your Honor, it's not sufficiently, it's not explicitly it's not sufficiently explicit. Excuse me. Um, if we disagree with you on the first issue that the that the denial of the motion to suppress motion to dismiss, excuse me, was proper, but then we look at what Judge Bell did, um, would the state advocate that their findings or there are conclusions that needed to be made that made that he did not make or? Where would be the posture at that point? Well, Your Honor, the posture at that point is what is the standard of review to be applied to the record? And so the record in this case is, is settled with regards to the Office of Administrative Hearings. And so depending on what, what uh, prong or which avenue of 150B-51B is, is outlined or is, is highlighted, then the, the standard of review is going to be determined by that. And so because we don't have that, the court could not have reached it. Um, now, I, I can tell you that in our motion to dismiss, we did outline all of the possible um, provisions under 150B-51B that the court could have found. Um, but even still, based on the evidence in the record, the court had no authority to make such decisions. And we're looking at the the instances of bad conduct in this case. Um, and so if you look at the record, and I would, I would submit to the court that it's, it's untruth. Mr. Duvall was untruthful a number of times, a significant number of times. While let let me stop there. Um, the record is complete about the reasons his employment with the State Highway Patrol was terminated. And that's not before us, is it? No, Your Honor. Okay. Is there not a provision for rehabilitation that notwithstanding what conduct went to lead to his termination from the state patrol, the issue of whether he's entitled to certification now in this position with this department, is that not a separate and distinct and you cannot just use the, the original basis for the termination as the sole basis to deny him now? Your Honor, when our, co our court looks at rehabilitation, um, I, I would point Your Honor to um, 
in Ray Rogers that, that contemplates and, and discusses rehabilitation a bit. Um, and it says, character is the slow spreading influence of opinion arising from the deportment of a man in society as a man's deportment, good or bad, necessarily produces one circle without another and so extends itself till it unites in one general opinion. Even more is this true when the restoration of character, as here, is the subject of consideration. It is then a matter of time and growth. And Your Honor, looking at the evidence that was before the commission with regards to Mr. Duvall's character, you take the person as a whole. Surely, or certainly what first brought the issue of good moral character to the commission's attention was his poor behavior while he was employed with the patrol. But as you will see in the final agency decision, um, and I believe that it's pages 18 and 19 in the record, um, you will see that the commission found that despite the testimony, and I want to, um, to read it for you, but this, despite the testimony of um, Green and Johnson, the most recent opportunity for the commission to observe Duvall's character was at that hearing. And the reason that the commission knows that Mr. Duvall was disingenuous and lacked candor while he was testifying is because just a few months prior, he had testified in the Office of Administrative Hearings um, in order to maintain his certificate, or excuse me, to maintain his job there. And he was asked about the same subject matter in April of 2019 and then here at this hearing in December of 2019. And when you compare those testimonies, it is abundantly clear that here in front of the commission, while Mr. Duvall is trying to demonstrate that he has rehabilitated himself, that he does the exact opposite when he has the opportunity to testify truthfully, to take ownership of his bad acts, and to, to profess that he's done better or he's going to do better. You don't have that here, Your Honors. Would the commission be justified in denying or having a permanent ban, suspension, however you want to phrase that? based solely on his conduct that led to his dismissal from the State Patrol? I would say if there were no other evidence, it was, if it was just the conduct from the State Highway Patrol, perhaps. But even then, each of these cases, where it comes to lack, good, good, lack of good moral character, they are determined on a case-by-case -case basis. Right, so I just, just to be clear then, the Commission could not base it, its decision solely on the same facts and circumstances that led to his dismissal from the patrol, correct? I, 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 would, I would not say that they can do that, Your Honor. However, in this case, in addition to... So what hope does a person have of ever resuming? Well, Your Honor, in the cases that, that are mentioned in the Commission's rule, in Ray Willis, in Ray Applicants... Um, even an attorney who's disbarred permanently yes. can seek reinstatement after Certainly. five years. And one would imagine that because that person is in the best circumstances and situation to demonstrate that they have rehabilitated themselves, that they perhaps would submit friends, colleagues, co-workers, members of their community that can attest to their good character. And that's what Individuals, he, and, and I'm sorry, Your Honor. That's what he did here, correct? No, sir, that's not what he did. He presented his employers, his employers who have a stake in whether or not he continues his work. 
uh, both, both testified about how valuable he was to them. Therefore, they were biased. If this, that testimony was able to be Well, it was found to be credible. I mean, there's no dispute as to the finding that testimony was found to be credible by the ALJ, by the commission. So we can't come underneath and try to say that's biased testimony at this point. Well, Your Honor, it's, I believe that two things can be true, and that is what the commission found. Despite the fact that these two people are testifying on behalf of, the, of Mr. Duvall, despite that, despite all of the good things they said about him, when you couple his untruths while he was employed with the Highway Patrol and his untruths while he testified in this administrative hearing. Can you point us to that untruth? Because there's plenty of statements in here that the commission believed the sheriff and the other witnesses and that the commission found their testimony to be credible and trustworthy. And the what they referenced to is that, but then they referenced that uh, Truthfulness was still a challenge for the petitioner, but I don't see in here where they say what he was untruthful about. Well, Your Honor, we outlined them in our motion to dismiss, and I will, I'm happy to outline them for you here. I'm curious First, about what's included here in, in the, what you point to in the commission's order. What's being well, reviewed Honor, the, by the judge? What was being reviewed by the judge was the entire record. The, the entire record, which is this here, was submitted to the to Judge Bell, and he, he was to review that in making his decision. And that is also what the commission reviewed. And so, Your Honor, um, what I'll point you to is that um, the first instance that of the untruths with regards to the testimony is um, April 9th, um, when Mr. Duvall was testifying before the Office of Administrative Hearings for the purpose of maintaining his job at the Highway Patrol, he recalled being told by Deputy Holmes and Lieutenant Finney that he was to be where he was supposed to be, when he was supposed to be there, doing what he was supposed to be doing. And that's um, on page 510. And then when you look at his testimony on December the 3rd of 2019, when asked about this same meeting, Mr. Duvall responded, Sir, it's been approximately four years. I do not recall what he stated to me at that meeting. And then, counsel for the commission showed Mr. Duvall the uh, transcript and asked him if that would assist him in re refreshing his recollection. And Mr. Duvall said that his recollection could not be refreshed. Another incident or instance and was- And you would intent, and you would state then that that would be an evidence of untruthfulness and that he should have remembered and him not remembering was therefore untruthful. Yes, Your Honor, and lack of candor. The whole, the whole thing. It couldn't be about, that he just didn't remember. No, no, Your Honor, that's not what it could mean. Especially when, when his attorney asked him questions about the same subject matter, he freely and, equal, and uh, easily uh, recollected these things. At what point was he put on notice that he was defending himself against these charges of lack of candor to the ALJ? Well, That's one of my concerns Honor, is a lot of our, our stuff with administrative law and, and with these employment decisions or certification decisions turns on, you know, somebody has to be aware of what the charges are against them. And if, if that changes in the middle of the process because of what comes around with the ALJ, when was he put on notice that he's now defending against this allegation that before the ALJ he wasn't being true? Shouldn't that have been subject of a a new proceeding and not a part of this proceeding? 
Your Honor, I would submit that the answer to your question is no, and that Mr. Duvall was put on notice with regards to um, his need to be um, truthful and honest on the course of his testimony for the administrative hearing when he swore an oath to tell the truth. And he also knew that his whole reason for being before the commission was because he was alleged to have lack of good moral character. And so he, the lack of good moral but character- But procedurally, anything related to his actions and untruthfulness under the procedure, shouldn't that have started with the probable cause committee and not this intermediate step of starting potentially with the ALJ or with the, the commission? Your Honor, commission? I, I submit that that was not an intermediate step Testifying at, a, at an administrative hearing is a normal process when one is seeking to be certified by a certifying body. And um, while it's not an allegation that he's having to defend against, it is a finding of fact that he was untruthful. Um, it, is, it is a fact that is demonstrated by the record and the transcript um, in, the in the testimony from, from the hearing. Let me ask um, a question on that. Um, the credibility determination, the, the testimony was taken before the ALJ, correct? That's right, Your Honor. And the ALJ had recommended a different sanction based on that testimony, correct? She, she did. Um, the ALJ said that... Um, and the commission's not bound by that determination or no deference? They are not, Your Honor. No deference given to it? Um, no, Your Honor. They, they certainly, these, these cases happen all the time. And the reason why the commission elects for a administrative law judge to hear the case is so that there's a, a neat and organized manner by which these, these proceedings can, can happen. When it went back now, before the commission, did it take additional evidence there? Or it's not a, Your Honor, it's not allowed to take any additional evidence. All of the, the findings of fact must be based on the record. And certainly, um, findings of fact can be modified as the um, the statute says that so the entire record was, was, was closed at the conclusion of the ALJ hearing, right? That's correct. Yeah. And the commission but, didn't actually hear the petitioner testimony? No, but they did have the, the transcripts. So, so they read the transcripts, and from that they determined untruthfulness as opposed to giving deference to the ALJ who had the opportunity to observe the witness and his demeanor and his body language at the time. The ALJ didn't make any findings about his untruthfulness, did she? She did. As a matter Which of fact, she did. She, did. Say? she, 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 that finding, I believe it's finding of fact or conclusion of law 80. I'm sorry, I don't have it before me, but um, she found that he was untruthful, lacked candor, um, and evasive in his testimony. That was a conclusion or finding by the ALJ. And Your Honor, I, I apologize. I see that but I'm into I, I've my got a, a couple more, and, and, and be up to Judge Tyson. Maybe we'll give you a little more time. But I, I want to hone in on something you just said. Did you tell me the commission is not allowed to take on evidence or or hear from the parties? Oh, I'm, no. If if I said that, I misspoke. Okay. Once the matter comes back from the ALJ then the matter is presented to the commission for the final agency decision. And in, in, in this case, the case was presented um, on September 17th of 2020. So the, the commission could have chosen to hear from him if they chose Mr. to, much Mr. like the industrial commission could choose to take on evidence. Well, they both, both sides, the commission's counsel and the, com and the petitioner has the opportunity to be heard and present argument in addition to Present argument or present evidence? Argument based on the Do you know the, the statutes or regulations on that? 
with regards to um, presenting argument versus being able to I will argument. find it for you, Your Honor. And then I, I want to ask one other question real quick. I know we're, we're eating to some time, but I, I'm concerned with this this uh, Jeffrey Gray Royal versus Sheriff's Education Committee decision. Um, the appellee cites it at page 29 of their brief where it adopts the standard, any suspension revocation of an officer's law enforcement certification based on an allegation of a lack of good moral, char moral character should be reserved for clear and severe cases of misconduct. Obviously that decision is not binding on us. That's correct, Your Honor. But isn't it binding on the commission to apply the same standard and failure to apply the same standard uniformly to, to each person? Isn't it arbitrary and capricious at that stage? Your Honor, it's not. Uh, arbitrary and capricious and what I would submit to the court is that that finding or, or that conclusion of law is a conclusion of law that's found by the ALJ now the as long but my understanding this is the final agency decision they could have struck that right if, okay. if I'm looking at what's here on, on I believe 29. that what is cited in this case I, I apologize um, I, I stand corrected um, your honor yes but in any event, this case does present clear and severe behavior. When you combine it with the um, defrauding the state, logging into, checking into being in, at work two hours before your shift, when you know that you're ill and having a stomach bug, and then staying on, on shift, when a supervisor comes to the house and finds you at the house with a t-shirt and underwear. That, that, that's all conduct that is, related to the patrol. That, it, it is, Your Honor, but it is conduct that Mr. Duvall engaged in. Well, we're not disputing, I don't think he's disputing that there was a basis to terminate him from the state patrol employment. And I keep going back to my same question. You, can the commission rely solely on the same evidence to deny him on this petition or this matter here? And, Your Honor, I would submit to the court that that is not what took place in this case. I'm not saying it is, but let's say, let's, let's exclude everything to do with the patrol, okay? Okay. Just for the moment. Is there a basis here to find that Judge Bell erred if you do not consider the facts of the, that led up to his dismissal from the state patrol? Yes, Your Honor, because Judge Bell's order fails to identify which provision of the statute he's relied upon and which standard of review he's applied. Okay. Uh, we're going to give you the, your full five minutes in rebuttal. Okay? Thank you, Your Honor. And real quick, is there any finding by the commission that this was a severe case of misconduct? Using that word, severe case. Your Honor, I do not know if that is, if that is in, in fact, a finding. Um, I'm happy to review. Thank you, yeah. And that is the basis, though, of the administrative rule, right? Or that's the basis of the prior decisions. It must reach to that level. No, Your Honor, I would not say that it must reach to that level. It is a case-by-case -case determination. Okay. But that was the standard applied in Royal. That was the standard applied in Royal. Okay. By this commission. Okay. Thank you. Yes, Your Honor. We ha you'll have your full five minutes. Thank you, Your Honors. You hear from the appellee. Mr. McGinnis, I think you know the tenor of our questions. And, yes, uh, Your Honor. I'm not, I don't want to direct your argument, but I think we have legitimate questions on a number of areas. If you'd like to address those, or we can, we, we can re-ask you the same questions. 
Yes, sir. Um, good morning, Your Honors. May it please the court, Judge Tyson, Judge Murphy, Judge Wood. I am Michael McGinnis. I'm a country lawyer from a small town called Elizabethtown, North Carolina. It's my honor to be here on behalf of Maurice Duvall, who has been a career law enforcement officer. Your Honors, I, I did take note of your many questions, and I will certainly do my very best to get to those. Uh, with the court's permission, I would like to start, however, and, and broaden the, the scope of inquiry just a bit, if I may. Uh, and, and I would respectfully say our argument is in our brief, and I'm going to attempt to not restate that. Um, Your Honor, law enforcement officers are like other professionals. Uh, I've been attempting to represent law enforcement officers for 35 years now. And in recent years, in recent decades, we've had many changes in America and in North Carolina as it relates to policing and police officers. And it, it is my respectful position that the changes that I've seen in those 35 years is that our law enforcement officers are under far greater scrutiny, far greater attack than ever before. And your honors, they are also messing up, if you will, I think far greater than before. I'm trying to be as candid as I can be with the court. And in this particular case, many years ago, back in 2015 and 16, Maurice Duvall, who had had an extraordinary record with the patrol, one warning in 19 years, he messed up. And Judge Tyson, you'd pointed out, you know, the highway patrol, they, they fired him. That's not before this court. That's not under challenge. Um, he was terminated. Now, like other law enforcement officers with good records, he made an effort to get himself hired. And Sheriff Lewis Hatcher down in Columbus County saw fit to do that. And uh, Sheriff Hatcher was well aware of the background. He took the political heat, if, if you would, for hiring uh, Maurice Duvall. Another sheriff came along and has continued that employment. And, Your Honor, at least the core of the legal issue in this case, if you will, is about the principle of rehabilitation. And that has got uh, great reach in North Carolina law, and it goes back further. It goes back to the scripture. Forgiveness and rehabilitation is something that uh, most, most Americans have been exposed to, and that is what this, this case is about. Um, discipline. On, on the jurisdictional issue, um, the state's claiming, they're making two claims. One is a jurisdictional claim, and the other is a exceeding the scope of review claim. Is that a, is that a fair characterization? I, I believe that it is, Your Honor. So, um, of course, the, the jurisdictional claim or issue, that's a threshold determination. So um, I'm not familiar with as much. I understand this is an Article Three agency, so the ALJ can only make a recommended decision as opposed to a binding decision. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, sir. And, and the agency is free to disregard the ALJ? They are legally free to do that, Your Honor, but there's at least some thinking and some decisions that they ought to pay some appropriate respect and deference, but they are free to, 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 to make changes. They but can. they are bound by the record that was developed before the ALJ. Is that correct as well? Yes, sir, they absolutely are. 
can they take a, to, to ask to re, we ask Judge Murphy's uh, question? Can they take additional evidence? Your Honor, I sat over here uh, um, embarrassingly bewildered when I heard that question posed, and I've been, been before that commission for those 35 years. I, I have not known them to ever take additional evidence. It would seem to me that there is probably jurisdiction and authority to do that, but I, and in cases that I've been in, I have not known that to be the case. Do they have, is there deference given to the ALJ? in your experience? Your Honor, I think that there very frequently is. And I think the reason for that, Judge Tyson, is that our group of administrative law judges is a specialized entity over there. Uh, they, they hear occupational licensing cases and personnel cases with great frequency. And so I, I think smart people on commissions know to um, at least have appropriate respect for judges who try these cases, as Judge Wood has pointed out here, they're the ones that see the witnesses and make the credibility calls. And it always troubles me, though, I, I would have to say this in complete respect to the commission. When you have a judge of the caliber and experience of Judge Melissa Owens Lassiter, many of us think the gold standard, and she makes credibility findings I think for someone to attempt to flip a credibility finding from looking at a cold piece of paper, that to me becomes problematic. Is this really a credibility finding or is it a weighing of this lack of candor? That, that's where I'm, I'm seeing a lot of the rub here is, you know, are we doing a, you know, this evidence and, and that evidence or is it a calculus problem? How does this matter that he was untruthful or had a lack of candor? and did these things in the past, but it's now done all these good things. Mm -hmm. You know, is, is it more of this murkiness, you know, that oftentimes defies appellate review? Um, so that, that, that's where I, I, I'm struggling with this. I think, you know, I, I look at it, it seems like the commission definitely took this idea of, um, you know, coming back and, and regaining your, your, your good moral character into account but decided it wasn't there here yet for whatever reason of, of balancing or, or comparing all these things together as they did. Um, so is it really even a, a question about credibility or is it a question of how much does this matter or not? Judge, I, I think there's an element of credibility there, but, but let me tell you what I think the commission's omission both in its brief and what we heard here today. Yes, Judge Laster uh, clearly, Judge Murphy picked a bone about cross-examination. But it, what's critically important is to come back and see what her ultimate findings were. She found, and this is the issue, that his present good moral character is there. She found him fit to continue to serve. Now, Having been over there with Judge Laster for 25 years, I am not surprised she is a meticulous, tough, but fair judge. And, and lawyers that are over there, sometimes we take some of that respectful criticism too. So she singled out a point, and, and again, in, in Mr. Duvall's defense, and no, there's, there's not been a charge on that. I just know from preparing witnesses when I'm 
questioning my own witnesses. I've usually gone over that if I've done my job. And the witness would be hopefully sharper. And when you have a, a, a vigorous cross-examination on matters years ago, I think that that is some explanation for that. But she singled that out. But then when you come back and see the extensive findings, Judge Murphy, that she made in his behalf, she went through the details. And that is what Judge Laster is all about, the, the principal's testimony, the sheriff's testimony. And I know we've heard a bone of contention here that maybe they aren't the best character witnesses. And, and I just vehemently disagree with that. The people that know police officers the best are the supervisors. Uh, they know if they're showing up. They know if they're respectful. They know about those true moral character traits. And here, when you look at both uh, Judge Lassiter's, again, detailed findings, and then Judge Bell's review of that, uh, there's just but one message there. And I think on, on, the, on the overall core question, is Maurice Stahl presently fit? That's the quarrel that I've got with them. They want to go back to 2016. Uh, and he has worked and earned, pulled himself up by his bootstraps and earned the respect of people like the principal, the sheriff, and now two judges. Everybody that's looked at this matter, Your Honor, has found he's presently a person of good moral character. The only entity that is in some disagreement is the commission. But when we look, Your Honor, at uh, even what the commission found in conclusion 24 and in fact finding 81 in those two areas, if I can, if I can find, I was going to try to make use of the, uh, the technology here. Don't know if it's going to work. <laughs> but in any event, Your Honor, from, I, I think the most pertinent part of the record before you is what the commission found when the commission found in, in 81, the petitioner has rehabilitated and rebuilt his career since 2016 and 17. And that's the gravamen of this case. He has done that, so says the commission. And then in their conclusion, 24, that's on record page 19, they point out how the sheriff and Principal Johnson testified that petitioner has rehabilitated and rebuilt his character since being fired by the patrol. And it goes on to point out uh, the other many duties that he has as a, as a school resource officer, which has now become such a vitally important position within the Sheriff's Department. So while we are here in excellent argument from an excellent uh, advocate here on behalf of the commission, back at the pertinent time, the commission seemed to be quite in support of, of Mr. Duvall. Uh, but with where they end up going, isn't this really just saying he's headed in the right direction? We don't think he's there yet, which kind of brings in this thought of, you know, it's time and growth, not just, you know, I, I, I keep thinking of, of, of Robin Hood. He goes and robs from somebody, but then he gives it out to the poor the next day. So is his moral character good now because he just gave all of his treasure to the poor? Um, and we are going to ignore the, the robbing that happened three days ago? Well, Your Honor, it's, we're not suggesting that it's to be ignored. He's, in fact, been punished for it with a five-year suspended sentence. See, this is, we, we didn't, or Jennifer Knox was the attorney that filed the petition for judicial review in this case, and her judgment call was to not appeal that. 
So he is under very substantial punishment. There's no question about it. We just have serious quarrels with the application of what the United States Supreme Court has said is the unusually ambiguous good moral character rule. And, Your Honor, I wanted to, to respond to your question about the Jeff Royal case. Before we go, go on to that, I appreciate that. But with the indefinite nature of this, and if we assume we're talking about time and growth, if it's indefinite, is there any floor on when he could reapply? Like, could he reapply the next day with it being indefinite and said, okay, now I've, I've improved even more? And, you know, at some point the commission could decide, yeah, he's, he's finally reached this growth. Because it's not a permanent ban. It's not setting a, a total ban with, for this, you know, character trait. It's the remedy seems fashioned to this idea that somebody's going to grow and change over time, and once he's there, then we'll allow him to come in. But, but Your Honor, it, it, it does seem quite arbitrary to, to to leave a career officer when a sheriff, with the appropriate authority that sheriffs have to make hiring and firing decisions, when a sheriff has made a determination pursuant to a background investigation that I want him. I want him in there as a, as a deputy. And especially when in this instance, I mean, we're, we're six years out. But I guess to answer your question, Your Honor, I suppose a deputy who might be indefinitely suspended for some alleged lack of good moral character can keep going to some other sheriff or some other chief and keep re reapplying. But, but that, that seems to be very inconsistent the way the occupational licensing disciplinary process is supposed to go. Am I correct that this is the third sheriff that he has worked? He was actually hired by two predecessor sheriffs and continued. Is that correct here? Your Honor, I believe it was, uh, it was one prior sheriff. It was Sheriff Lewis Hatcher hired him, and then the next sheriff, Sheriff Green, was elected, and he continued his employment, and again, I think what is so significant is the magnitude and the strength of the testimony of the people that have been familiar with him uh, far beyond the call of duty, always exemplary. In other words, quite a golden deputy. And that's how, Your Honors, I think uh, the rehabilitation principle is supposed to, to, to work. He's hopefully earned his way out of the hole that he put himself in back in 2016, and again, from a broader perspective, I, I wish I could come to courts like this and look up at your honors and say, I've got a, a perfect deputy over here, a perfect client over here, never been disciplined. Because of what's going on nationally, police officers are being very frequently dif uh, uh, disciplined and sometimes very severely. And, and as their advocate, I'm also gonna say, some of that is often very justified but if our system is going to shut out good qualified officers because we've made a mistake long ago, uh, that seems to be the injustice in the case that I believe shines through in Judge Bell's very extensive, very analytical uh, uh, decision. He was all over the record in this case. Was he free to do that? I guess yes. that's the second issue. Uh, yes, Your Honor. Uh, uh, he was... Uh, conducting a judicial review hearing and under a de novo review standard on the legal issues. And the interpretation, there's two rules in issue here. We've only, we only heard about one thus far. You know, my client made a mistake and he's paying for it. They too made a mistake. 
they violated a, a regulation. They were supposed to conduct an independent investigation. And Judge Tyson, sir, they did not. That is admitted in the record. All they did was requested the Highway Patrol's investigation. They didn't do anything current when the legal standard set by the Supreme Court of the United States says we are to assess the present good moral character. And all they did was, was retrieve a file from many years ago. But yes, he had but the testimony from the sheriff and the principal. They, that was offered. That that was in his favor, correct? Yes, sir. A ab absolutely. And of course, again, that that was before Judge Lassiter. Judge Bell's hearing was not an evidentiary hearing. It was a de novo review. And what the gist of our argument was, and, and you see it in our brief, the interpretation of the good moral character rule is a that is a legal issue. That is that is that has been addressed been addressed in many in many state bar cases. So our position was and remains the evidence of record, it was undisputed, the, the current evidence, the present evidence, that he is a person of good moral character. Every, all of the fact finding by both judges found that and that's still the case. So it was let me ask you this uh, as far as his ability to do his job. I know that he's got accolades from the principal and from the sheriff, but and also he serves as a coach in the high school as well. Yes, sir. Um, as a school resource officer, if on juveniles, mostly he's dealing with juveniles. Mm -hmm. If he makes a report about a crime being committed or an offense infraction, where does that leave him in 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 terms of his ability? to testify and to, to, to serve the basis for the complaint, wouldn't every defense attorney to every juvenile come up and say, Judge, he didn't have any credibility. He can't testify. Uh, is, is he not under that disability? Uh, Your Honor, he's not because the district attorney in that jurisdiction has chosen to not issue a giglio determination against against him that's correct he, he is not so we, no, there's no disability there, is there what I'm saying. no your honor there's absolutely no disability whatsoever okay. well that's an independent brady determination that could be made in a future case if a juvenile's attorney says your honor we need all of his records and information we don't believe him to be credible and the state's not turning it over trial court could find that to be a Brady violation and Giglio violation at that point, right? Y it's Your just Honor, that there's not an active letter. I, I'm harking back to our Henry Washington County case from a, f a few years ago. That's that, right, Your Honor. You know, call you often an advisory opinion um, with the orders. Um, so there's nothing definitive one way or another about that aspect, correct? Is there something I'm, I'm missing there? That, that, that is correct. There's been no Giglio letter issued. Uh, following up on your point, if there was one, it would be advisory. You know, that, that something could get triggered about that, Your Honor, but I think what that distills down to, especially in a sheriff's department, that is a unique employer. Uh, sheriffs are constitutional officers, and they make tough judgment calls about who to hire and who to not hire. And I think it was a, when Sheriff Hatcher hired him, maybe to some extent it might have been a, 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 a political risk. Uh, sheriffs do that, but you've, you've certainly heard Sheriff Green's testimony or seen it in the record and the principal's testimony, and you've seen two trial-level judges and their assessment of that, and but one conclusion 
has been reached on this, on this evidence. And, and I think the record cries out any other conclusion would be irrational based on this. I mean, the, the, the man has worked his heart out to dig himself out of the hole. And the, the, the law of rehabilitation, and maybe it needs some clarification, Your Honors. Maybe, maybe that is something that in your decision in this case, maybe, maybe we need some more meat on the bones there. Um, just as we do, and I say it, it with complete respect, um, to, the, to the body of law that raised a good moral character, but our administrative law judges, many of them highly experienced, um, I'm, I'm over there about all the time, what they are consistently struggling with is that, that unusually ambiguous term. And, and that royal case, to get back to that just a moment, Judge, Judge Murphy, that to me was the commission's finest day where they wrote at great length and set out the, the standard, and they said these cases are reserved for the most severe and clear because even police administrators see so many situations differently as it relates to that very ambiguous term. As I've said many times, it's obviously something that, that the court can't do. I wish the commission would promulgate a much more clear rule like some of the other agencies, but obviously that's not before the... Now, obviously, you know, that prior royal decision is not binding on us to determine what is or is not the law on this. But how does that opinion factor into consideration if the commission acted in an arbitrary and capricious manner of applying a different standard to one, one officer 10 years ago as opposed to another officer now? Um, it doesn't appear to me, at least, that there's any findings or conclusions applying that standard um, in this order. Well, Your Honor, I'm not, not sure exactly how I'd, I'd respond to that, but I think at least our, our biggest point with the relevance of, of the Royal case is that was the Commission's own adjudication of the standard, and it appeared to set the standard from the Commission's perspective very high, and in this case it appears that they've drastically lowered that standard because they're wanting to have Mr. Duvall to continue to be unemployable as a law enforcement officer for something that happened so many years ago when you think that's really the basis is it your assertion that they are basing their basis for denial is solely based on the same conduct for which he lost his job before the commission before the patrol yes judge tyson it absolutely is and the record will bear that out uh and, and again my respectful criticism of them there's a regulation, you see it in the record, it's very clear. The commission shall investigate, okay? Maybe getting the patrol records was a part of that. In other words, I'm not critical of that. But it was not enough, Judge Tyson, when all they needed to do, you know, in the, in the post-COVID era, we do so many of our witness interviews by phone. And they could have called the principal. They could have called the sheriff. They could have done something to test out, well, look, how, how is he doing? Is Sheriff Hatcher still available too, or is he deceased? Absolutely, he's, he's, he's still available and a highly respected citizen of the community. So the commission could have gone further. And, and what our logical argument is, had the, had the commission conducted a thorough, appropriate investigation, they would have had the current evidence, and we believe they might have made a better decision. Is, it, is there any requirement that the investigation has to be from a neutral stance to find good and bad? 
or can the investigation be from a prosecutorial stance, such as the Supreme Court's recently ruled with judicial standards can be from a prosecutorial investigation and not just a neutral investigation? Your Honor, I believe at the administrative law level with an occupational licensing case, I think the investigation needed to be objective and, 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 and very neutral. Uh, there's later will be an opportunity for advocacy about that, but I think there's nothing any more important than any kind of case than, than getting at the, the current fresh facts and getting it, pardon the expression, from the, from the horse's mouth. Uh, you know, an old highway patrol file, and again, in all due respect to my friends with the patrol, this, this court has issued a number of decisions, and we cited one, the Wade Bullock case, that, that how some of those investigations over there uh, were, were very inadequate. So they had that pile of paper, and they took that pile of paper and, and made a decision which is a pretty horrific, pretty horrific decision. Well, that pile of paper was, was, was sufficient to justify dismissal of a 20-year officer who was yes, a sergeant. Yes, sir. So uh, it, was, it, was, it was necessarily negative. And Judge Tyson, I don't want you to think, sir, for a moment, I'm not backing up on what I said. Uh, Mr. Duvall messed up, and, and, he, and he accepted responsibility for that. He's under five years of discipline for that, and he didn't challenge that. It's just we take strong and respectful issue that he currently has a lack of good moral character when about everybody in Columbus County is saying to the contrary. And they, and they want him, and we live in, in this time, again. And that's the same judicial district you live in, too. Is that correct? I'm, I'm right next door, Your Honor. And the, and the nightmare that we've got in my home poor county of Bladen is uh, we're having to get deputy sheriffs from Robinson County to come over to serve because we can't, we can't fill them. And that is, a, that is a practical matter that in the small counties of, of the state, maybe they don't have that in Your Honor's necks of the woods, but we do down our way. And here's a man that is, uh, again, the, I, I don't know when I've ever seen testimony that was any more moving to me than that of the principal and, and that of the sheriff. And, and I think that's why a judge like Judge Lassiter, maybe it's not the right term, lit up to the level that she did. And then Judge Bell's, uh, again, another tough judge review of that. And, and, and he found, Judge Bell found, there was a failure to investigate, and you see his application of the law. In fact, he went to the royal case, and, and he thought it was good because, I forget his exact language, but he agreed with the reasoning uh, in, in royal. And there's a case from this court called Scroggs. I didn't do near enough with Scroggs in, in the brief, but it was a, uh, and that it was not a good moral character case. It was one of those material misrepresentation cases. But there was a, a, a lapse of time in there, and this court reversed the imposition of discipline in that case. And, Your Honors, I, maybe I should have started with this. To my knowledge, this is the first time that this court has had uh, an opportunity to interpret this good moral character rule. Uh, now, I, there's plenty of precedent. There's many cases from other jurisdictions. Uh, the amicus brief did a much better job than, than we did, in my opinion, with finding those cases that talk about the importance of rehabilitation. And so, yes, I've got a bunch of police officers that I've proudly represented that have been appropriately disciplined. Uh, but after time, we'd love to see them back. 
And it is that principle of rehabilitation that we say to this court is vitally important. It is, it is a key backbone in that body of law. And, and the commission just did, did not seem to fully respect those principles here. And it clearly did not respect the, the findings and the reasoning of, of Judge Lassiter. Am I correct that, um, and you might not know the answer to this, but with the state bar on permanent disbarment, a, a, form, a disbarred lawyer does have a right to come back after five years and petition. Is that correct? Yes, Your Honor. It's my understanding that's, that's absolutely correct. And I think that is one of the best examples, Your Honor, of the rehabilitation rule. And while riding to Raleigh this morning, I remembered a classmate that I had in law school long ago that we learned from him that he had been convicted of a federal drug, a drug offense and that the Honorable Franklin Dupree had sentenced him to the penitentiary. And Judge Dupree was apparently a very proud judge when he swore that lawyer in many years later as a member of the bar. That is, that is what rehabilitation is all about. And, and I believe not just the law enforcement community, but professions, and I think our American society is, is founded upon that principle. That's what we teach our children when they make a mistake. You can, you can recover from that. One, one more procedural question related to the motion to dismiss. On record 26 and 27 is the exceptions in the, the petition for judicial review. What language can you point me to here? that shows and puts the, the state on notice that you're going to be talking about the investigative procedure in the petition for judicial I think, you know, obviously arguments back and forth on that, but that, that's the hardest place I'm finding support for being encompassed by the, the exceptions here. Your Honor, in the remaining time, I'm probably going to have a difficult time pinpointing. Let me try to answer your question this way. Um, Former Judge Knox wrote the petition. It goes on for three pages. Um, she does specifically list an exception in here, and it's on page 26, it looks like. And as you can tell, Judge Bell took this very seriously, and in, in his decision on page 3 in particular, he goes through and points out what it provides. Um, the, it, it, uh, the petition sets out uh, the plea for relief. It cites cases, it cites the regulations. In other words, it was, I've seen petitions for judicial review that are one conclusory page. And we, we respectfully say, Judge, it exceeds notice pleading because the commission responded with a 26-page motion to dismiss where they just hit it real hard. So as Judge Bell found, they were not blindsided. And finally, Judge Murphy, we did cite cases for the court that the great state of North Carolina is not a form over substance jurisdiction. This is a technical argument. They were on notice. They put up an extensive defense to this. But we're not a form over substance because of a decision by the General Assembly in the rules of civil procedure. The language the General Assembly has chosen here about explicit exceptions seems more in line with the substance over form in interpretation. To, to me, does it does it not? That, that's a policy taken on by the General Assembly to, to lay down for pleading requirements. If they set a higher, just like they do in you know med mal cases, a higher pleading standard, we have to to go with that. 
Judge, I, I, I certainly am very inclined to agree with Your Honor that the statute seems to heighten that standard somewhat. But here, the proof is in the pudding in that when we look at their response, it, they were not blindsided. They saw what we were arguing and they, and they advocated with great specificity and, and, and precision. You know, it would be easy for me to say, well, you know, uh, former Judge Knox, she could have done a little bit better here or there, but she pled a lot of stuff in three pages and they knew what the complaint was about. It was about the good moral character decision by the commission below and we saw how Judge Laster had dealt with it and everybody has been on that particular issue. And I regret that my, my time is over and I apologize Thank for you, that. Sir. I'll give you a moment to sum up what you'd ask the court to do. Uh, Your, Your Honor, I thank you for that, Judge Tyson, very much. Uh, Judge Bell's decision to me suggests he conducted a comprehensive judicial review of the record, and he has, um, uh, I think, very accurately applied the law. Uh, what this court should do and can do so succinctly is uh, to simply affirm uh, the uh, conclusions and the decision granting the petition for judicial review uh, which will uh, simply enable the sheriff of Columbus County to uh, change the status of Maurice Duvall to make him a certified law enforcement officer. I mean, he's serving there today, but not in a sworn capacity. So we simply ask you to affirm uh, what we think is a remarkably clear and compelling decision by Judge Bell. Thank you. Thank you. Your Honor, thank you very much for all of your patience and consideration. Rebuttal. And I know the amicus curiae feels the same way. You, you have your full time. Thank you, Your Honor. I'd like to begin by reminding the court that this matter is not about the good moral character rule. This case is about procedure. When Mr. Duvall filed his petition for judicial review, he failed to do so explicitly, such that a judicial review could take place effectively. And I believe Judge, Mur Judge Murphy pointed out that there's absolutely no mention in that petition of anything about an investigation. Because it's not there, it's waived. And the court has no authority. The Superior Court had no authority, and this court has no authority to mention it, to address it. Your Honor, if we um, agreed with you that, that it's, it's not enough, what, what's here is not enough to meet the statutory requirement, would our remedy just be to reverse on a motion to dismiss, or would the appellee have an opportunity to amend the petition for judicial review if under 150B45B the trial court found good, re found good cause to allow an untimely petition, an amended petition, however you want to phrase it, um, if this one didn't match it, I mean, could the trial court find good cause and, and still allow an untimely petition? Your Honor, I suppose that that could happen. However, the commission would argue that they've had, the, Mr. Duvall's had his bite at the apple. And you'll see from the transcripts from this hearing on the PJR in Superior Court, the commission raised this issue and uh, Mr. Duvall's counsel talked about amending the, the, the pleading and did no such thing. So at this at this point, so would that amend, motion to amend 
technically still be pending before the trial court if we reversed? No, Your Honor, because it was not a, I'm sorry, Your Honor. The, the appellee hasn't received a ruling on that, that request to amend because the trial court obviously found it to be moot by its ruling that it's not going to dismiss. The appellee did not make the motion. It discussed it during the course of the hearing. Okay. And so they never made a request that Your Honor will, will amend or, or anything like that? No, Your Honor. Okay. Um, and so uh, it would be the commission's contention that at, that at this point, if this court does what we're asking it to do and remands this matter back to the Superior Court with the instruction that it affirm the, the uh, ruling or the decision of the, the um, Sheriff's Commission, that, that would be proper. Um, additionally, Let I Let me ask you this. Um, in Judge Knox's um, petition for judicial review, she did specifically assert that the principal in the sheriff's testimony was found to be honest and credible and that that finding had not been, that that testimony had not been impeached. So would that not put the issue of whether there was evidence contrary to support the decision of the commission before the Superior Court? And the Superior Court, based upon what Judge Lasseter found and what the commission itself found, that there was no contrary evidence to impeach the testimony of good moral character by Mr. Johnson and by Sheriff Green. No, Your Honor. I believe that the, the um, petition on its face is deficient. It is not sufficient to, to um, challenge the final agency decision. And just stating that there was testimony that's contradictory is not enough because it does not inform the court which standard of review to apply. Your Honors, if you notice during the course of... That testimony um, was not contradicted, was it? It was not contradicted. However, Your Honor, um, the Supreme Court has held that the initial burden of showing good moral character is on the, uh, is on the applicant. Would and that not meet case, the th that threshold burden? No, no, Your Honor, this would not meet the threshold. Well, I'm sorry, that would meet the threshold burden. But when we talk about rehabilitation, we've got to have an individual. And in this case, one would think there will be numerous individuals to come and speak on behalf of Mr. Duvall who knew him when he was engaged in the poor conduct at the um, at the patrol and then when he transitioned and now at the time that he was before the commission and could testify that yes I have seen Mr. Duvall I know him to comport himself in this way I can tell you about times he's told me the truth and we don't have that in this case. Wasn't that what the sheriff and the principal did? was they testified that, you know, he'd worked for the Sheriff's Department for at least two and a half years and that Sheriff Green had absolutely no questions about his ability to be truthful and honest and he believed him to be of good moral character. He also testified that he knew he'd been fired and he made no effort to understand or learn the circumstances under which he was fired. And that would be important when we talk about the, the principle that of rehabilitation. That but that doesn't in any way therefore diminish the importance of the sheriff's testimony about his current good moral character, does it? Because you're talking about what happened back in 2015 and 2016 and the sheriff's talking about what he's observed in the last two and a half years. Isn't that correct? Well, Your Honor, what the commission had before it was a combination of things. And the record is devoid of unbiased because of the work 
Is there a finding from the commission that their testimony was biased? Because biased in and of itself would tend to be evidence that it's not necessarily credible. And there's a finding that their testimony was credible and trustworthy and, and, honest. That they, and honest and that the commission believed them. And I don't see anything in here that says their evidence or testimony was biased and therefore shouldn't be taken into consideration, which is what I'm inferring Your Honor, from your no, argument. No, there was not a finding to that effect. But was there any evidence? Was there any evidence before the commission of his present untrustworthiness or dishonesty? Was there anything in their record to support a present finding? I would I would say yes. There was there was evidence in the record to support that, and that is articulated in the final agency decision. But your honors, what what I would and I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know how much time I have because it's been counting up <laughs> since Mr. Okay. Uh, McGinnis ran over his We've time. Gone way past and so um, I, I sincerely apologize. But I would, I would contend that Mr. Duvall had the burden of proving that he had rehabilitated his character. The evidence he submitted to the commission was not sufficient to the commission's satisfaction that he had rehabilitated his character to the to the point where he was worthy of certification as a law enforcement officer, as a sheriff's deputy in, in this great state. And, and your, your position, just to be clear, is that the commission is the one that is ultimately tasked with making that determination, pulling these things out of the ether and putting it down and making sure not the ALJ, not what the trial court would do, not what the three of us would do, looking at it anew. It's solely the commission and that's the power the General Assembly has given to the commission. Well, Your Honor, what I'd say is not pulling it from the ether, but certainly uh, basing their decision on the record that's created in the Office of Administrative Hearings and listening to argument of counsel before them in final agency dis uh, decision. And, and also, um, it is, I wanted to note that this Sheriff's Commission is comprised of 17 members. Of the 17 members, there are 12 elected sheriffs. And of the 12 elective sheriffs. There's one for each of the 10 districts and then two at large. So when we are talking about who made this decision that Mr. Duvall did not have a good moral character, these are 12 elective sh elected sheriffs who despite Sheriff Green's testimony, their, their esteemed colleague came to a conclusion based on the record before them that Mr. Duvall should not be certified. Do we know whether or not the commission's decision was unanimous? Is there anything to indicate that it was? Now, Your Honor, I do not know that, but I, I believe... Or is it majority I, vote, or do you know? I don't want to misspeak, okay. so I don't know. I, I apologize. Um, I do want to also talk about um, the standard of review in this case. Mr. McGinnis said that Mr. Excuse me, that Judge Bell engaged in a de novo review during the course of that hearing, but he also articulated that the commission's findings were arbitrary and capricious and that the findings were unsupported by substantial evidence. And according to section 150B-51B, these two standards or these two prongs require a whole record test. And Judge Bell or any superior court is not free to substitute his opinions for that of the commission. If anything in the record supports the action and findings of the commission, then they must stand. And that's what happened in this case. 
But this also reiterates the commission's argument and point that the petition was insufficient on its face and should not have reached this point. We'll give you a moment to sum up. That's one more question. Okay, sorry. If we were to hold that it was arbitrary and capricious for the commission to apply a standard to Mr. Duvall that it did not apply to Mr. Royal, would that lead to us affirming the trial court, or would that need to be remanded to the commission to apply the proper standard that it applied under Royal? Assuming arguendo, if if your honors did remand the, the matter back, it would need to be a, a concrete finding that this under this prong, the commission's the commission's actions fit this prong, and therefore under the whole record standard, I don't know that your honors could find that. And and, and I know for a fact that Judge Bell should not have found that. Um, that that is the position of, of the commission because that is what the record su- supports. Um, I appreciate your your patience. If I may uh, quickly close, okay. um, the Superior Court erred in denying the commission's motion to dismiss. Additionally, it had no authority to reverse or modify the commission's final agency decision pursuant to Section 51B for the reasons previously asserted. Your honors, as the Supreme Court has characterized and recognized in Ray Leg. The purpose of withholding certification is not to punish the candidate, but to protect the public and preserve the integrity of the profession subject to licensure. Withholding certification in this case is for just that purpose, to preserve the integrity of the law enforcement profession and to protect the public. Therefore, the commission requests that this court reverse the decision of the Superior Court and remand the case with instruction that it affirm the commission's final agency decision. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. Thank you. The case is submitted. Uh, We thank counsel for good arguments on both sides and for the extensive questioning by the court. So at this point, uh, Mr. McFarland, will you uh, adjourn court? All rise. This session of the North Carolina Court of Appeals is now adjourned.